It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That is at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. You can email the show, L-O Thunderpod at gmail.com. You can call into the show, 405 362 7128. On today's show, we're going to dive into the Thunder home opener against the Utah Jazz, the key takeaways, the biggest storylines, and who is the MVP of this game. We're also going to slightly brush up on the Orlando Magic preview as the Thunder have the second night of a back to back tonight against the Magic. But let's start with that Utah Jazz game, a very fun game to watch, an entertaining game. But before the game, we knew it was the Thunder home opener. We knew that the Thunder entered this game in first place in the Western Conference, the last undefeated team in the Western Conference. They also came into this game on a 17-game winning streak at home against the Utah Jazz. The margin of victory in those games averaged out to 13.8 points per game. Oklahoma City has the second best home record since the 2010 season, second only to the San Antonio Spurs. Now, one thing that we found out about this game is that Ty Jerome is still out. He's nursing an ankle injury, and we heard an update from Coach Mark Dagnott. Uh, it's not soon. It's not like distant future, but it's, it's not like day-to-day at this point. But he's progressing. So take that for what you will on Ty Jerome. I'm going to safely assume that based on what Mark said uh, before the Jazz game, that he is out for the Orlando Magic game. Uh, but who knows at this point when he'll be available I'd say probably another week or two before we see Ty Jerome make his Oklahoma City Thunder debut. The Thunder rolled out the same starting lineup of Shea, George Hill, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Al Horford. The Jazz rolled out Conley, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, O'Neal, and Gobert. The Thunder also changed the court from the last time that we saw them play in Chesapeake in the preseason. They have added tarps to the seats which I think look brilliant. If you watch some baseball this year, the teams who did not put the tarps on there, it looked just flat out weird. I know they have the cutouts and things like that, but it looks so much better when you watch the Yankees or teams who put the tarp on there. And so I liked that the Thunder did that. Also, there was a humongous yellow loves sponsorship on the baseline, which people were freaking out about. It's the cool thing to do to freak out about the love sponsorships on the jerseys now on the court. I was not bothered by it one bit. After the initial pictures came through Twitter, I didn't notice it the rest of the time. I was just focused on the actual game. It's not that big of a deal, but it is a funny thing that people like to make fun of. But whenever the game started, 
Oh my goodness, did this team play some amazing offense. They were running in transition. They had pace. They had space. And they were knocking down three-pointers, starting four for four from beyond the arc, getting a 14-4 lead and causing Quinn Snyder to burn an early timeout. You saw right here how valuable Al Horford is. He was able to draw Rudy Gobert out the paint and stretch the floor for Oklahoma City. And that's something the Thunder have not really ever had. I mean, you go from Kendrick Perkins to Steven Adams and to now to have a center who can stretch the floor, take paint protectors out of the paint, and allow the rest of your team to operate was so amazing to watch. This team plays an amazing brand of basketball. And that's what led me to tweet out uh, during the game that the Thunder nailed their their coaching hire. And I think that that's true. Uh, We've been able to talk to Mark a ton since media day and training camp and the practice. The availability has been awesome for Mark in pregame, postgame, and and hear what the players say about him. It's clear that he has a great personality and that he has a great relationship with each and every player and that that's going to be his forte is going to be a player's coach. But beyond that, looking at the style that Oklahoma City is playing right now, the, the brand of basketball they're playing, look at what they're already accomplishing. Again, Mark got in here and he's dealing with the same obstacles that rookies are dealing with. I mean, he had a short training camp to implement his style of basketball. He has a totally different team than a year ago even. This is his first time being a head coach and truly having everything on him and being able to implement exactly what he wants to do. And already we're seeing the best brand of basketball we've ever seen in Oklahoma City. And that's not hyperbole. Again, not the best team. I mean, this team has once had James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook. Not the best team, but stylistically and the brand of basketball. Just schematically, this is the best they've ever played on both ends of the floor, but specifically on the offensive end. This is the best brand they've ever played. Not only is it fun and exciting to watch, not only are these players giving 120%, but... This is a style that is conducive to winning. This is a style that once it is surrounded and once there are players in it who are championship level players, the next time you build a core that is able to be title contenders, this is a style that will win them championships. So even though it's only two games, I don't think it's an overreaction for anyone to think that the Thunder nailed this coaching hire. If he got put into a ready-made team, he would already be the next NBA smart guy, the next Nick Nurse type coach that gets to burst onto the scene. Now, sadly for Mark, you don't get to burst onto the scene until people see you in the postseason, right? That's when we really start to evaluate coaches. But evaluating Mark's first two games, his rotations, his spots that he picks to call timeouts, the plays he draws up, everything about the guy has been brilliant so far, on and off the floor. And to be quite honest with you, I think that Mark Dagnott will be the very best coach the Thunder have ever had. Now, they've only had four of them, so it's not hard to top Scotty Brooks, who's about to get run out of Washington. It's not hard to top Billy Donovan, who is getting run out of Chicago already. It's not hard to top Peter Carlissimo, who is in Oklahoma City for a whopping 10 days. But still... I think Mark Dignott is going to be the very best coach Oklahoma City has ever had, and Sam Presti has knocked this hire out of the park so far. I am so excited to see what Mark can do with a championship-level team because look what he's already doing with this squad right here. And even game-to-game and second-to-second, that bench unit, the first time that that bench unit got put on the floor against Charlotte, they looked abysmal. They improved from the first half to the second half, and they improved from the Charlotte game to the... Jazz game tonight. So, so far, what we know about Mark Dagnott is, number one, 
He's an amazing players coach, and the players love him, respect him, and want to play for him. Number two, we know that he is an amazing in-game adjuster so far, and that we love the style of basketball we're seeing on the floor from his coaching staff. And then number three, we know that he is, and this is something that we already know, just given his reputation around basketball and given what he did with the with the blue, we know that he and his staff are great developers of talent. That all culminates into an amazing head coach. But I cannot rave enough about this offense. And David Locke asked a great question in the media scrum about, you know, coach, if everything went perfectly for you, what kind of offense would we see from your team? And this is what Mark had to say. Uh, well, we're doing it. Um, you know, we're doing what we want to do. You know, it's space in the floor. Um, kind of being multi-positional. Um, I know everybody kind of talks about that, but letting rebounders bring the ball up the floor to increase the pace of play um, and to get different people playing with the ball and to get primary guys off the ball where the ball can kind of find them through the course of the possession. Um, and then, you know, getting to our attacks with pace and being a good ball movement team and, and five guys working together to – um, create an advantage and then ultimately to create a good shot. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're on that track um, right now. I think that's how we're trying to play. And this offense was able to generate open looks and quality shots whenever they wanted to against the Utah Jazz, which is a big accomplishment in and of itself because the Jazz are a very good defensive team. I mean, they have Mike Conley, they have Royce O'Neal, they have Rudy Gobert, they have even Donovan Mitchell. This is a good defensive unit, and for the Thunder to really get good looks almost each and every possession is a big deal moving forward for this team. And another another tip of the cap to Mark Dagnott for already implementing the style that can do that already in Game 2. Once again, he has dealt with the same obstacles as rookies in the NBA right now, who we all rightly say have had an unfair shake at this. So I cannot wait to see Mark Dagnott get to coach a competitive and contending team. Now, will that be next year? Probably not. Will that be the year for that? Probably not. But in a couple of years here, we're going to get to see it, and it's going to look really, really fun in Oklahoma City. And the Thunder played a really fun game, which we'll get to right after this. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at betonline.ag. I'll let you know if I won or lost my bet of the game later on in this episode, but you can head on over to betonline.ag and bet yourself on any of the amazing college football action as they hit into bowl season. You've got the Pokes playing. You've got the Sooners playing this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can also bet on the NBA, bet on the NFL, anything you want to bet on. There's one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that is betonline.ag. .ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use our promo code locked on. Get a 50% welcome bonus. The betonline.ag sportbook has everything you could ever want prop bets, money lines, over unders, spreads, everything. Go bet on the Thunder vs. Magic game right now and see if you can make some money while watching the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Do not forget to use our promo code Locked On and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportbook experts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
We are back on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Check out Locked On Bets. Betting on the NBA does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick-hitting analysis and quick-hitting advice to make the smartest possible wager. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts from. They're brought to you by betonline.ag. The Thunder have played an amazing first two games. These games could not have gone any better for Oklahoma City. Again, they get up 14-4 in this game. Everyone's riding the high. And then you see them go cold from three. They did fall in love with the three-point shot, but as Mark said after the game, while they did shoot a ton of threes, None of them were bad looks. I mean, they shot good quality shots. The shots just didn't fall, and that's going to happen. But I loved whenever SGA was attacking Donovan Mitchell, and he found a lot of success. And at times, SGA was just bullying Donovan Mitchell inside the free throw line. It was a pleasure to watch. But the same rotation for the most part, uh, which we'll talk about how it changed uh, throughout the second half. But in the first quarter, you got Poku minutes, you got Maldon minutes, you got Kendrick Williams minutes, you had Muscala and Diallo the first two off the bench. It looked like it was going to be the same rotation, but then you saw Mark Dignot decide to shorten the rotation later on in the game because when we saw that entire bench unit of Maldon, of Diallo, of Poku, of Williams, of Muscala, they saw a five-point lead fade pretty quickly. Then Oklahoma City was able to recover, and then they started to lead the game at halftime. And after halftime, Utah quickly takes the lead back in the third quarter with nine minutes to go. Utah delivered the first punch of the second half. And right here, I found something very interesting with Mark, that he did not call a timeout immediately, right? About two or three possessions went by, and then he finally called the timeout because he had no other resources. But his first go-to option, right, his, his first thought process was clearly, let's let these guys play out of it. Where Billy Donovan, he's up off that bench real quick. He's going to call that timeout. He's going to regroup everyone. He's going to get them together. But Mark waited about two or three possessions longer than I think that Donovan would have to just see if his guys could get them out of it. And that was interesting to say the least. But in this third quarter, you saw the rotation shrink. The bench unit never got out there again in the sense of they never were out there without a starter. With like two minutes to go, I believe, in the third quarter, you saw a bench unit of Shea, Teo, Hammy, Poku, and Muscala. You never saw all the starters off the floor at one time. You always had a safety net or two with that bench unit the rest of the game because he was trying to win this one. And once again, we get into that weird tank conversation. I think that tanking is the best strategy for the Thunder to use, but Mark and Shea and Al Horford, none of these players and none of these coaches are going to tank. It's just a good strategy, and tanking does not happen from players and coaches. Tanking happens from Sam Presti. Tanking happens from the front office trading away pieces and dismantling teams and ensuring that no matter how hard you try, no matter how great of a coach you are, you cannot win games. And that's why tanking typically happens around the trade deadline and after the trade deadline once you've made those moves, once you've traded a George Hale caliber player, once you've traded away a Mike Muscala even quality player. That's when tanking happens. So it was clear in this game that Mark wants to win, Shea wants to win, everyone wants to win, which I don't know if you have even needed that clarification, but it was made tonight. Whenever you see the rotation shorten, whenever you see the adjustments made minute to minute in this game. But in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma City went up nine and Utah quickly responded with a 7-0 run. And Mark calls a timeout immediately after that 7-0 run. Uh, Utah goes on a 9-0 run to take the two-point lead. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma City goes up by a point with 45 seconds left after Lou Dort hits that shot. And they were in this one till the very end. 
and even had a chance to ice the game away because they got a crucial stop, and then Shea leads the offense down the floor, gets in a good half-court set, and he pulls off this pump fake that got Mitchell to fly behind him. And he was in that awkward position where you're keeping your pivot foot down and you're leaning closer to the ba- to the basket. And if he shot it, he would kind of be shooting it off balance. But I still think it probably goes in. He was open enough to shoot it. But again, it was an awkward position he was in physically. And so he makes a smart play and passes it out to George Hill, where George Hill had backed off the three-point line a little bit too much. He was still open. He still shot the shot. And it still goes in more times than not, I think. This is just one of those times where the shot didn't go in. So I understand the thought process from Shea. I think that in that instant, there was no wrong move for Shea as he's learning to be the leader and learning to be the point guard in these situations. I think if he shoots that kind of off-balance shot, it's a good decision. I don't think anyone would be mad at him. But I do like the, the thought process of, let's kick it out to George Hill. And if George Hill was a step closer to that three-point line, which he couldn't do, by the way. George Hill could not readjust himself because of the shot clock. He just had to shoot it from where it was. Then I think that that is a game-sealing play. That puts you up four. And by that point, and at that point, you just have to make your free throws, which they didn't do against Charlotte, but it's a new game. You probably make your free throws, and you win this game. So they had multiple chances here to win this game, including the final play after Donovan Mitchell hit a runner to give Utah the lead. On that one, Lou Dort looked to over-pursue at the three-point line. It looked like he got out of position because of how how hard he attacked Mitchell and closed down on Mitchell. At the three-point line, Mitchell gets the step, Mitchell gets the layup. On the final play, I loved what Mark drew up. It was perfect. You advance the ball, you get a side out, and... Shea is your inbounder. He inbounds it to Horford. Horford now controls what happens next. And Horford detailed this very well. I saw it live writing it down on my notes that he had the option. Option A, if you will, was George Hill cut across the paint in the middle of the floor. He could have dumped it inside to George Hill for a layup. Now, the Jazz did a great job of sealing off George Hill. He was never even an option. Your option A was already taken away immediately on the inbound. That was a great job by Utah. George Hill was taken away, so Al Horford could have taken it himself to the hole, but he didn't really have the angle to do that either, so he gives it to Shea, who now has a running start for a layup. Rudy Gobert contests it very well. I thought it was a clean contest, but I can see where some people wanted a foul call there, but I thought it was clean. I thought the officials did a good job here in this game. And you had three options. Shea was the best option once again, and Shea had the layup not fall. That shot could have easily gone in, It resulted in a quality shot at the buzzer, which is all you can ask for. This game came down to the buzzer and came down to a quality shot from your young star in Shea, Gilgis Alexander. What more do you want? Even though you lose 110 to 109, you played a great style of basketball. The team hustled, played good defense, played really good offense, played together, and you had a shot to win every step of the way, and you had an experience, a teaching, a growing experience for your young star, for your young centerpiece. Now, is he a number one? Is he number two? Is he number three? Who knows? But he is a centerpiece of this team, Shea is. In the second consecutive game, you had a growing and a learning moment. He learns from getting the trust of Mark Dignott in game one against Charlotte to run the length of the floor and to have the entire play be it's only about Shea, this is Shea's decision. He learns from that, hits the game winner. Now he gets to learn from, okay, you were option three on this play, you executed it well, and the shot didn't fall. How do you regroup from here? 
And Mark talked about that as well after the game, talking about how even though it's a back-to-back, you do not want to skip any steps. They want to take their time digesting this game, as they should. And if you're someone who wants the tank, number one, the Hornets win does not impact your tank, as we discussed on Saturday. It does not impact your tank at all. You have to win 20 games, and you won against a below-average Eastern Conference team. That might be the Eastern Conference 10 seed. Does not impact your tank at all. Having a close game against Utah, a probably top four seed in the in the West, whenever all things are settled, you played an incredibly cl- close game. You could have won this game, and you didn't. So it works in the advantage of the tankers. And, and Michael Cage had a very funny moment after the game. I'm I don't think he meant obviously what he said. He said, you know, this is a good game. You kept the tank, and then he realized what he said and said, well, you kept your, your offense in the tank. You kept more offense in your tank. And he just kind of stumbled and stammered after that. I think he was literally just trying to say, you know, you still had some offense to give. You missed some open shots that could have changed the game. And all in all, you fought really hard to get to this point. But it was hilarious to hear Michael Cage say, well, at least you kept the tank and just not finish his sentence. But the Thunder do lose this game. 110-109. We'll talk about the biggest storylines, the MVP of the game, how I did on the Moneyball pick and the bet of the day outcome and so much more coming up. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a phenomenal protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON you are going to get a 20% off your next order. They have six brand new flavors, 18 in total, but the six new ones are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, and apple almond crisp. The Bill Bars are soft and easy to chew with 100% chocolate on the outside, making them taste just like a candy bar, even though they're a protein bar. They are great for the health conscious person to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Built Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for the keto diet. You can use them pre-workout. You can use them post-workout. You can even use them as a meal replacement. My personal favorite is the cookies and cream Built Bar. So go try that today at BuiltBar.com. Use our promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Promo code LOCKEDON, 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. East meets West in Locked On NBA Tuesdays. Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors, and Dave Ramel, host of Locked On Heat, tackle the biggest NBA stories of the day coast to coast. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts from for national coverage of the NBA. Great show. Go check them out when this one is over. This is Locked On Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I want to dive in now to the biggest storylines from tonight. Of course, it's Lou Dort. Lou Dort is a great defender. 
He's truly great. And I've once said that eventually he'll be known as one of the best defenders to ever play the game of basketball. And in his second year, his first real tough test against Donovan Mitchell, he holds Mitchell to eight for 23 shooting, two of 10 from the three-point line. Mitchell talks about how he feels Lou Dort every single time that they play, and he felt Lou Dort tonight. Watching him play defense is just simply amazing and it's incredible. And that speaks volumes right there. The fact that everyone in this fan base loves watching Lou Dort play defense. The fact that even casual NBA fans love watching Lou Dort play defense shows you how good of a defender he is. The defensive end of the floor is supposed to be boring. It's supposed to be complex and no one understands it so no one talks about it and they just focus on the offensive plays and the flashy plays. The fact that Lou Dort is able to make defense fun and able to make highlights on the defensive end and able to frustrate his opponents so much and take away top scorers in this league like Donovan Mitchell, like James Harden, like Damian Lillard, to be able to do that and to be able to be noticed for that speaks a ton of volume about the kind of player that Lou Dort is. Lou Dort has turned into a phenomenon. And to put it into perspective, Andre Robertson was really respected around the NBA. Thunder fans loved his defense, but you did not have casual people just casually in passing talking about talking about Andre the same way they're talking about Lou Dort. And on that note, Lou Dort's offensive production and his potential get flashed once again. Now, this is something I've talked about with Lou Dort from the very beginning of my time here at Lockdown Thunder since May. And I specifically stressed this during his Ofer stretch in the postseason. He has immense offensive potential, and he showed it with his regular season career high of 26 points tonight. He shot 5 of 7 from beyond the arc. He's going to be a streaky shooter. If he can be like a 32% shooter for his whole career, that will be incredible for him, and that will open his game even more. He's an efficient cutter, an efficient driver to the basket. He's good with the ball in his hands for the most part. And if you get his entire offensive package clicking, mixing that with being the best defender in the NBA— what more can he ask for from Lou Dort? And you're not going to get 26 points a night from him. But he's also not going to be a black hole offensively. But Lou Dort was awesome. And he just was. And, and the team played really good defense. I mean, Darius Baisley played really good defense. And Baisley's somebody who takes pride in his defense as well. He wants those top assignments as well. He's not going to get them as long as Lou Dort's on the, on the team. But you respect that kind of mindset from him. That he wants to be great on that end. Because there's a lot of of players in the NBA who don't care about the defensive end, who, who do not value that. And Darius Baisley values both ends of the floor. And what I love the most about Darius Baisley is not only his playmaking ability, which I think is an elite trait that he has that I cannot wait for him to fully display, not only his ability to be aggressive and score, even though in this game he only had nine points, what I love about Darius Baisley is his rebounding. He had 11 defensive rebounds in this game. 11 is huge for him as a small forward, power forward combo to mix it up with Royce O'Neal, with Rudy Gobert, to get involved in the rebounding effort tonight was huge for him. And it was huge for this whole team. To be able to mix it up with Rudy Gobert, to be able to mix it up with this Jazz team on the glass, especially to take away second chance opportunities from Utah, can really show everyone that 
his rebounding outburst in the bubble was not just because it was the bubble, was not just because you were playing the Houston Rockets in a seven-game series without a center on their roster. He's a legitimately good rebounder. He's good at following the ball off the glass. He's good at tracking the ball. He's good at positioning himself. He's good at all those things because you have to be to get rebounds against this Jazz team, especially with his frame. You have to be. And to get 11 defensive chances right there, defensive rebounds. And for him, the defensive rebounds are going to be so crucial moving forward because he has the chance to run coast to coast off of those defensive rebounds. He does because of how good of a playmaker he is. Now, in this game, you don't necessarily get that opportunity because a lot of these rebounds were tip rebounds and hustle rebounds and truly fighting on the glass. But if you can swoop in there and get a clean rebound and go the other way, Baisley is able to do that for you with his immense playmaking ability. So I loved watching Lou Dort and Darius Baisley in this one. Another good night from Shea. Of course, you can take away those four turnovers and make it even better, but there was only one time where I thought the turnover was just egregious, but other than that, I mean, he was really predictable on that pick and roll uh, with Muscala where it just got absolutely demolished. He just had no chance at it because he was just too predictable with his eyes. Other than that, though, not too bad. Four, four turnovers, not too bad for a lead guard. Uh, he had the block defensively. He had a steal defensively. For him, though, his assists just come out of nowhere. He, he had the quietest seven-assist game of all time. Like, when I saw he had seven assists, I just didn't believe it because I couldn't really pinpoint a single assist. But, of course, we have to talk about his ability offensively. It's, it's just unbelievable the way this guy can stop at a dime and immediately, upon stopping, just go into a jump shot. It, it's something I've never even seen before. It's, it's that good literally can just stop anytime he wants to and smoothly transition into a jumper. Like, to be able to do that physically must be pretty awesome for Shea. I mean, we always look at the physicality of dunking the basketball. To be able to control your body as well as Shea can and stop anytime you want to, not be off balance and smoothly hit a jump shot in the NBA, that's pretty cool, I bet. So, watching Shea offensively was a ton of fun. The MVP of this game, though, has to be Lou Dort. We've talked about him at nauseum throughout this podcast history. We'll do it again because he was simply awesome. Again, holding Donovan Mitchell is no small task, and he was able to hold Mitchell to 8 of 23 shooting and 2 of 10 beyond the arc. Mixing that with his offensive efforts was awesome, specifically the two steals because one of those steals you, you're seeing it develop in front of your eyes. You're seeing Pokashevsky about to just get absolutely taken to school. And then all of a sudden, Ludort swoops in there, knocks the ball loose, steals it, and goes the other way and saves Pokashevsky by the bell. It was awesome to see him being a, a team defender in that way. And not only does it take intelligence to notice a mismatch and be able to help your team solve that problem, but also the confidence he has, and rightfully so, that he can go cheat over defensively. He can go help help out Pukashevsky because if they do swing the ball over to his man, he's going to regroup and recover in time to still contest that shot. And you saw it in this game. He's able to do so much on that defensive end. It is incredible. It's seriously, I can talk about this forever, and we're already at the 30-minute mark and still have another game to preview. So I'll stop there. But he is a, an MVP of this game for sure. And how awesome is that to start your season with two games? The first game, Shea is the MVP of the game. The second game, Lou Dort is the MVP of the game. Your young guys are showing up. Now, the bet of the game outcome was not kind to me. I had Utah minus six. I was wrong in this one. Utah uh, won a close, close game in Oklahoma City, snapping that 
17-game losing streak in Chesapeake Energy Arena in the regular season. And then the Moneyball outcome I pick Shea. Who would have guessed that it's Lou Dort hitting five threes in this game, giving him the season high for himself and also for Oklahoma City as George Hill hit four against the Hornets in game one. But Lou Dort leads the way. If you had Lou Dort, congratulations. I want to quickly transition into this Magic game, the second night of back-to-back playing at home. It's highly unlikely that the veterans play. It's highly unlikely you see Al Horford play in this one and George Hill play in this one. We'll know more. That's not official, but we'll know more tomorrow as Mark meets with the media around 5.15. So follow me on Twitter for updates there at Ryland underscore Styles. The first injury report comes out at 1.30 Eastern, so 12.30 Central Time. Once again, check out on Twitter for me at Ryland underscore Styles. I'll let you know on that front as well. We'll see if the veterans play, but right now I am banking on the veterans not playing on the second night of back-to-back, as that's been the trend around the NBA. Veterans have just not been playing on night number two. So what does that mean for this team's rotation? I think it obviously means more minutes for Alexei Pugashevsky. Now, what does that mean for the rest of them? Let's take this one step at a time, right? Because you're going to lose out Horford probably for this game, because he's a veteran, probably going to sit him. Not official, but probably. So if you do sit out Horford, you're going to play Pugashevsky more minutes, I think. Do you see Moses Brown on, a, on the two-way contract? Because at that point, if you take away Al Horford, your only true center left on this team is Mike Muscala. So put him in that starter role. And behind him, you have the option to go with Moses Brown, a seven-footer, or go extremely small, right? And just have a small ball lineup when Muscala's not in there and just cycle through Kenrick Williams, Isaiah Roby, Darius Baisley, and Justin Jackson. Cycle through that small ball lineup there to get you through this game. Because to be honest with you, I would rather see Brown, Williams, Roby, Baisley, Jackson defending a an NBA 5 than I would see Alexei Pukashevsky, despite being 7 feet, defending an NBA 5 right now, as we saw against Rudy Gobert on Monday. So what does the rotation look like without Al Horford, presumably? is something to watch for. Uh, for George Hill, Easier to replace him, not in the sense of his production, because goodness gracious, how can you miss his production? I mean, how could you replace his production? He did not shoot the ball very well from beyond the arc for his standards in this game, but yet still he was able to find a way to contribute. He goes 0 for 4 from beyond the arc in this game. He shoots 38% from the floor, but he's still able to contribute, George Hill is, to this game for Oklahoma City. And that's a valuable asset for Oklahoma City. You cannot replace that production. But you have the bodies, is what I mean by that. You can throw out there Justin Jackson, who has not played yet. You can throw out there Isaiah Roby, who hasn't played yet. And you can manage it. More minutes to Teo Maldon, even. You can manage it. Josh Hall in the two-way contract, maybe. And then we still have not seen Darius Miller this season. So maybe he helps step in and fill in for George Hill, if George Hill does go out in this one. For rest purposes, Darius Miller, a sharpshooter as well. Uh, so he can fit nicely in that three spot and try to expand the floor and just give you some offense and and give you some offensive uh, shooting ability. But to me, the biggest thing to watch for is Shea and Baisley in this game specifically. Now, that'll be the case most games, but here's why for this game. Because, again, assume that George Hill and Al Horford are not playing. At that point, no matter any other outside factors, the defense only has to worry about truly beating you, Baisley and Shea. And Shea, specifically, will get the entire focus of the entire defense. They're going to try to seal off and take away Shea this entire game. How does he respond to being the true focal point and not having the safety net, right? Not having that comfort zone of, okay, if I'm in trouble, I've got two 
well-respected NBA veterans who have proven that they can score at a high level in this league with George Hill and Al Horford. Now your most proven guy with you on this in this group, if you, there is no Horford, if there is no Hill, is Mike Muscala, who's a nice little player, but let's face it, he's not Al Horford, he's not George Hill. How does Shea respond to being the focal point? How does he respond to to that role? And for Baisley, you've now shot up the leaderboards here to number two, to, to Shea's right-hand man here as he's trying to navigate these waters. You've got to step up your game offensively without Al Horford, without George Hill. Now, Baisley, I think, can do that with more touches. Against Utah, he did not score double digits, but he only got eight attempts in this game. He went two for four from beyond the arc, which is good. I have no doubt that Shea and Baisley are going to put up numbers in this game, but it's just another wrinkle to watch for how they get there. How do they get to those points? How do they get to those stats uh, with all of the focus being on those two guys? At the time that I'm recording this, there is no line for this game on betonline.ag. I will update you on Twitter what bet I take for this one so we can keep track of my season total. I'm winning one so far on the bet of the game. Moneyball of the game, I'm 0 for 2. I'm going back to the Darius Baisley well. I think he steps up nicely and lights it up from beyond the arc. Once again, check back on Twitter for more updates on the injury report, on Mark Dagnut's press conferences, on Twitter at Rylan underscore styles at R Y L A N underscore S T I L E S. You should get your first update from me uh, on about 12:30, when the initial injury report gets posted by the NBA. So once again, this is locked on thunder. The only daily podcast about the Oklahoma city thunder. I am Rylan styles. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore styles at R Y L A N underscore S T I L E S. We'll be back tomorrow to recap this magic game and see where this Thunder team stands three games into the season. Be good, and be good to one another. Perfect ending to a historic day! Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.